Chapter Three, Part Three of Pointed Roofs by Dorothy Richardson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section Seventeen. Every other day or so, Miriam found she could get an hour on a bedroom piano, and always on a Saturday morning during raccommodage. She rediscovered all the pieces she had already learned. She went through them one by one eagerly slurring over difficulties pressing on getting their effect listening and discovering it's technique i want she told herself when she had reached the end of her collection beginning to attach a meaning to the familiar word then she set to work she restricted herself to the pathétique always omitting the first page which she knew so well and practiced mechanically slowly meaninglessly with neither pedaling nor expression page by page until a movement was perfect then when the mood came she played and listened she soon discovered she could not always play even the things she knew perfectly and she began to understand the fury that had seized her when her mother and a woman here and there had taken for granted one should play when asked and coldly treated her refusal as showing lack of courtesy ah she said aloud as this realization came women of course you can only play when you can said she to herself like a bird singing she sang once or twice very quietly in those early weeks but she gave that up she had a whole sheaf of songs with her but after that first vorspielen they seemed to have lost their meaning. One by one she looked them through. Her dear old Venetian song, Beauty's Eyes. An old garden, she hesitated over that, and hummed it through. Best of all, in old Madrid, the vocal score of the Mikado, her little chanson de Florian, and a score of others she blushed at her collection the chanson de florian might perhaps hold its own at a vorspielen sung by berta martin perhaps the remainder of her songs excepting a little bound volume of sterndale bennett she put away at the bottom of her saratoga trunk meanwhile there were songs being learned by herr bosenberger's pupils for which she listened hungrily schubert grieg Brahms. She would always, during those early weeks, sacrifice her practicing to listen from the schoolroom to a pupil singing in the saal. Section 18. The morning of Ulrike Hesse's arrival was one of the mornings when she could play. She was sitting happy in the large English bedroom, listening. It was late. She was beginning to wonder why the gonging did not come when the door opened. It was Milly in her dressing gown, with her hair loose and a towel over her arm. Oh, bitte, Miss Henderson, will you please go down to Frau Kraus? Fräulein Pfaff says. She said, her baby face full of responsibility. Miriam rose uneasily. What might this be? Frau Kraus? she asked. Oh, yes, it's Haarwaschen. 
said Millie anxiously, evidently determined to wait until Miriam recognized her duty. Where? said Miriam aghast. Oh, in the basement. I must go. Frau Kraus is waiting. Will you come? Oh, well, I suppose so, mumbled Miriam, coming to the door as the child turned to go. All right, said Millie. I'm going down. Do make haste, Miss Henderson, will you? All right, said Miriam, going back into the room. Collecting her music, she went incredulously upstairs. This was school with a vengeance. This was boarding school. It was abominable. Fräulein Pfaff, indeed, ordering her, Miriam, to go downstairs and have her hair washed by Frau Kraus. Offhand, without any warning, someone should have told her, and let her choose. Her hair was clean. Sarah had always done it. Miriam's throat contracted. She would not go down. Frau Kraus should not touch her. She reached the attics. Their door was open, and there was Mademoiselle in her little alpaca dressing jacket, toweling her head. Her face came up, flushed and gay. Miriam was too angry to note till afterwards how pretty she had looked with her hair like that. Ah, c'est le grand lavage, sang Mademoiselle. Oui, said Miriam surlily. What could she do? She imagined the whole school waiting downstairs to see her come down to be done. Should she go down and decline? Explained to Fräulein Pfaff. She hated her vindictively. Her calm message, treating me like a child. She saw the horse smile and heard the caustic laugh. It's sickening, she muttered, whisking her dressing gown from its nail and seizing a towel. Mademoiselle was piling up her damp hair before the little mirror. Slowly Miriam made her journey to the basement. Minna and Elsa were brushing out their long hair with their door open. A strong sweet perfume came from the room. The basement hall was dark save for the patch of light coming from the open kitchen door. In the patch stood a low table and a kitchen chair. On the table, which was shining wet and smeary with soap, stood a huge basin. Out over the basin flew a long tail of hair, and Miriam's anxious eyes found Millie standing in the further gloom, twisting and wringing. Section 19 No one else was to be seen. Perhaps it was all over. She was too late. Then a second basin held in coarse red hands appeared round the kitchen door, and in a moment a woman, large and coarse, with the sleeves of her large checked blue and white cotton dress rolled back, and a great teapot of pale nasturtium-coloured hair shining above the third of Miriam's bony German faces, had emerged and plumped her steaming basin down upon the table. Soap and horrid pudding basins of steaming water. Miriam's hair had never been washed with anything but cantharides and rose-water on a tiny special sponge. In full horror, oh, she said, in a low vague voice, it doesn't matter about me. Guntakfrun, 
snapped the woman briskly. Miriam gave herself up. Guten Morgen, Frau Kraus, said Millie's polite departing voice. Miriam's outraged head hung over the steaming basin. Her hair spread round it like a tent frilling out over the table. For a moment she thought that the nausea which had seized her as she surrendered would, the next instant, make flight imperative. Then her amazed ears caught the sharp bump, crack of an eggshell against the rim of the basin, followed by a further brisk crackling just above her. She shuddered from head to foot as the egg descended with a cold slither upon her incredulous skull. Tears came to her eyes as she gave beneath the onslaught of two hugely enveloping, vigorously drubbing hands. Shampoo, gasped her mind. The drubbing went relentlessly on. Miriam steadied her head against it, and gradually warmth and ease began to return to her shivering, clenched body. Her hair was gathered into the steaming basin, dipped and rinsed and spread, a comforting compress, warm with the water, over her egg-sodden head. There was more drubbing, more dipping and rinsing. The second basin was refilled from the kitchen, and after a final rinse in its fresh warm water, Miriam found herself standing up, with a twisted tail of wet hair hanging down over her cape of damp towel, glowing and hungry. Thank you, she said timidly to Frau Krause's bustling presence. Guntak, Frau, said Frau Krause, disappearing into the kitchen. Miriam gave her hair a preliminary drying, gathered her dressing-gown together, and went upstairs. From the schoolroom came unmistakable sounds. They were evidently at dinner. She hurried to her attic. What was she to do with her hair? She rubbed it desperately. Fancy being landed with hair like that in the middle of the day. She could not possibly go down. She must. Fräulein Pfaff would expect her to, and would be disgusted if she were not quick. She toweled frantically at the short strands round her forehead, despairingly screwed them into hins, and toweled at the rest. What had the other girls done? If only she could look into the schoolroom before going down. It was awful. What should she do? She caught sight of a sodden-looking brush on Mademoiselle's bed. Mademoiselle had put hers up. She had seen her. Of course. Easy enough for her little fluffy clouds. She could do nothing with her straight wet lumps. She began to brush it out. It separated into thin tails which flipped tiny drops of moisture against her hands as she brushed. Her arms ached. Her face flared with her exertions. She was ravenous. She must manage somehow and go down. She braided the long strands and fastened their cold mass with extra hairpins. Then she unfastened the hinds. Two tendrils flopped limply against her forehead. She combed them out. They fell in a curtain of streaks to her nose. Feverishly she divided them, 
draped them somehow back into the rest of her hair and fastened them. Oh, she breathed, my ghastly forehead. It was all she could do, short of gas and curling tongs. Even the candle was taken away in the daytime. It was cold and bleak upstairs. Her wet hair lay in a heavy mass against her burning head. She was painfully hungry. She went down. Section 20 The snarling rattle of the coffee mill sounded out into the hall. Several voices were speaking together as she entered. Fräulein Pfaff was not there. Gertrude Goldring was grinding the coffee. The girls were sitting round the table in easy attitudes, and had the effect of holding a council. Emma, her elbows on the table, her little face bunched with scorn, put out a motherly arm and set a chair for Miriam. Jimmy had flung some friendly remark as she came in. Miriam did not hear what she said, but smiled responsibly. She wanted to get quietly to her place and look round. There was evidently something in the air. They all seemed preoccupied. Perhaps no one would notice how awful she looked. You're not the only one, my dear, she said to herself in her mother's voice. No, she replied in person, but no one will be looking so perfectly frightful as me. I say, do they know you're down? said Gertrude hospitably, as the boiling water snored on to the coffee. Emma rushed to the lift and rattled the panel. Anna, she ordered. Miss Henschen, soup. Oh, thanks, said Miriam in general. She could not meet anyone's eye. The coffee cups were being slid up to Gertrude's end of the table and rapidly filled by her. Gertrude, of course, she noticed had contrived to look dashing and smart. Her hair, with the exception of some wild ends that hung round her face, was screwed loosely on the top of her head and transfixed with a dagger-like tortoise-shell hair ornament, like a Japanese, Indian, no, Maori, that was it. She looked like a New Zealander. Clara and Minna had fastened up theirs with combs and ribbons and looked decent. Frauish, though, thought Miriam. Judy wore a plait. Without her fuzzy cloud she looked exactly like a country servant, a farmhouse servant. She drank her coffee noisily and furtively. She looked extraordinary, thought Miriam, and took comfort. The Martins' brown bows appeared on their necks instead of cresting their heads. It improved them, Miriam thought. What regular features they had! Bertha looked like a youth, like a musician. Her hair was loosened a little at the sides, shading the corners of her forehead and adding to its height. It shone like marble, high and straight. Emma's hair hung round her like a shawl. Lisbeth, Gretchen, what was that lovely German name? Hild, Brunhild. Talk had begun again. Miriam hoped they had not noticed her. Her Braten shot up the lift. Lauter Unsen, 
announced Clara. We've all got to do our hair in clash, clashisher knoten, Hendy. All of us, said Jimmy, judicially, sitting forward with her plump hands clasped on the table. Her pinnacle of hair looked exactly as usual. Oh, really? Miriam tried to make a picture of a classic knot in her mind. If one have classic head, one can have classic knot, scolded Clara. Who have classic head? How many classic head in the school of Waldstrasse? Elsa gave a little neighing laugh. Klassisch head, klassisch knotte. That is true what you say, Clara. The table paused. Dites-moi, qu'est-ce que c'est terrible classic knot? Dites. No one seemed prepared to answer Mademoiselle's challenge. Miriam's mind groped. Classic. Greece and Rome. Greek knot. Grecian key. A Grecian key pattern on the dresses for the sixth form tableau. Reading Ruskin. The strip of glass all along the window space on the floor in the large room. Edged with mosses and grass. The mirror of Venus. Eh bien, eh bien. Only the eldest pretty girls, all on their hands and knees looking into the mirror. Classische form, Griechisch, explained Clara, like a statue, mademoiselle. Comment? Un statue? Je dois arranger mes cheveux comme une statue, au ciel, mocked mademoiselle, collapsing into tinkles of her sprite laughter. Ooh la la, a quel statue, par exemple, she trilled, with ironic eyebrows. La statue de votre Kaiser Wilhelm der Grosse Petetre. The Martins' guffaws led the laughter. Mademoisellekin, with her hair done like the Kaiser Wilhelm, peeled Jimmy. Only Clara remained grave in wrath. Einfach, she quoted bitterly. Simple, says Lily. So simple. Simple, simpler, simplissimusco. I make no change, not at all, smiled Minna from behind her nose. For this Ulrica it is quite something other. She has, yes, truly, so charming a little head. She spoke quietly and unenviously. I too, indeed. Lily may go and play the flute. Brave girls, said Gertrude, getting up. Come on, kinder, clearing time. You'll excuse us, Miss Henderson. There's your pudding in the lift. Do you mind having your coffee, Mitt? The girls began to clear up. Lily, Lily, Lily Faf, muttered Clara as she helped. So einfach und niedlich, she mimicked. Ach, was, schwarmerei, das find ich abscheulich. I find it disgusting. So that was it. It was the new girl. Lily was Fräulein Pfaff. So the new girl wore her hair in a classic knot. How lovely. 
without her hat she had a charming little head minna had said and that face minna had seen how lovely she was and had not minded clara was jealous her head with a classic knot and no fringe her worn-looking sallow face she would look like a prisoner at the bar in some newspaper how they hated fräulein pfaff the germans at least fancy calling her lily miriam did not like it she had known at once none of the teachers at school had been called by their christian names there had been old quagmire the elfkin and dear donnikin strudy and good old kingy and all of them but no christian names oh yes sally so there had sally but then sally was couldn't have been anything else never could have held a position of any sort they ought not to call fräulein pfaff that it was somehow nasty did the english girls do it ought she to have said anything mademoiselle did not seem at all shocked where was fräulein pfaff all this time perhaps somewhere hidden away in her rooms being done by frau kraus fancy telling them all to alter the way they did their hair section twenty one everyone was writing saturday letters mademoiselle and the germans with compressed lips and fine careful evenly moving pen-points the english scrawling and scraping and dashing their pens at all angles and careless eager faces an almost unbroken silence seemed the order of the earlier part of the saturday afternoon to-day the room was very still save for the slight movements of the writers at intervals nothing was to be heard but the little chorus of pens clara still smouldering sitting at the window end of the room looked now and again gloomily out into the garden miriam did not want to write letters she sat pen in hand and note-paper in front of her feeling that she loved the atmosphere of these saturday afternoons this was her second she had been in the school a fortnight the first saturday she had spent writing to her mother a long letter for every one to read full of first impressions and enclosing a slangy almost affectionate little note for harriet in her general letter she had said if you want to think of something jolly think of me here she had hesitated over that sentence when she considered meal-times especially the midday meal but on the whole she had decided to let it stand this afternoon she felt it was truer she was beginning to belong to the house she did not want to write letters but just to sit reveling in the sense of this room full of quietly occupied girls in the first hours of the weekly holiday she thought of strange ulrica somewhere upstairs and felt quite one of the old gang ages she had known all these girls she was not afraid of them at all she would not be afraid of them any more emma bergmann 
across the table raised a careworn face from her two lines of large neat lettering and caught her eye she put up her hands on either side of her mouth as if for shouting hendkin she articulated silently in her curious lipless way mein liebes liebes hendkin miriam smiled timidly and sternly began fumbling at her week's letters one from eve full of congratulations and recommendations keep up your music my dear said the conclusion and don't mind that little german girl being fond of you it is impossible to be too fond of people if you keep it all on a high level and a scrawl from harriet pure slang from beginning to end both these letters and an earlier one from her mother had moved her to tears and longing when they came she re-read them now unmoved and felt aloof from the things they suggested it did not seem imperative to respond to them at once she folded them together if only she could bring them all for a minute into this room the wonderful germany that she had achieved if they could even come to the door and look in she did not in the least want to go back she wanted them to come to her and taste germany to see all that went on in this wonderful house to see pretty german emma adoring her to hear the music that was everywhere all the week that went like a garland in and out of everything to hear her play by accident and acknowledge the difference in her playing oh yes besides seeing them all she wanted them to hear her play she must stay she glanced round the room it was here somehow somewhere in this room full of girls centering in the germans at her end of the table reflected on to the english group something of that influence that had made her play it was in the sheen on minna's hair in emma's long plaited schoolgirlishness somehow in clara's anger it was here here and she was in it she must pretend to be writing letters or someone might speak to her she would hate anyone who challenged her at this moment jimmy might it was just the kind of thing jimmy would do her eyes were always roving round there were a lot of people like that it was all right when you wanted anything or to to create a diversion when everybody was quarrelling but at the wrong times it was awful the radners and pools were like that she could have killed them often hello mim they would say wake up or what's the row and if you asked why they would laugh and tell you you looked like a dying duck in a thunderstorm it was all right no one had noticed her or if either of the germans had they would not think like that they would understand she believed in a way they would understand at the worst they would look at you as if they were somehow with you and say something sentimental sie hat heimweh or something like that minna would 
Minna's forget-me-not blue eyes behind her pink nose would be quite real and alive. Ein Blatt. She dipped her pen and wrote Ein Blatt aus. Ein Blatt aus Sommerlichen Tagen. That thing they had begun last Saturday afternoon and gone on and on with until she had hated the sound of the words. How did it go on? Ein Blatt aus Sommerlichen Tagen, she breathed in a half-whisper. Minna heard, and without looking up from her writing, quietly repeated the verse. Her voice rose and trembled slightly on the last line. Oh, chuck it, Minna, groaned Bertha Martin. Chuck it, repeated Minna absently, and went on with her writing. Miriam was scribbling down the words as quickly as she could. Ein Blatt aus Sommerlichen Tagen. Ich nahm es so im Wander mit. Auch das es einst mir möge sagen, wie laut die Nachtengal geschlagen, wie gründe wohl den ich durchtritt. Durchtritt, durchschritt. She was not sure. It was perfectly lovely. She read it through, translating stumblingly. A leaf from summery days, I took it with me on my way, so that it might remind me how loud the nightingale had sung, how green the wood I had passed through. With a pang she felt it was true that summer ended in dead leaves, but she had no leaf, nothing to remind her of summer days. They were all past, and she had nothing not the smallest thing. The two little bunches of flowers she had put away in her desk had all crumbled together, and she could not tell which was which. There was nothing else but the things she had told Eve, and perhaps Eve had forgotten. There was nothing. There were the names in her birthday book. She had forgotten them. She would look at them she flushed she would look at them to-morrow sometime when mademoiselle was not there the room was waking up from its letter-writing people were moving about she would not write to-day it was not worth while beginning she took a fresh sheet of note-paper and copied her verse spacing it carefully with a wide margin all round so that it came exactly in the middle of the page it would soon be tea-time. Wie grün der Wald. She remembered one wood, the only one she could remember. There were no woods at Barnes or at the seaside. Only that wood, at the very beginning, someone carrying Harriet, and green, green, the brightest she had ever seen, and anemones everywhere. She could see them distinctly at this moment. She wanted to put her face down into the green among the anemones. She could not remember how she got there, or the going home, but just standing there, the green and the flowers and something in her ear, buzzing and frightening her and making her cry, and somebody poking a large finger into the buzzing ear making it very hot and sore. 
The afternoon sitting had broken up. The table was empty. Emma, in raptures, near the window, was calling to the other Germans. Minna came and chirruped, too. There was a sound of dull scratching on the window, then a little burst of admiration from Emma and Minna together. Miriam looked round. In Emma's hand shone a small antique watch encrusted with jewels. At her side was the new girl. Miriam saw a filmy black dress, and above it a pallid face. What was it like? It was like, like, like jasmine. That was it, jasmine. And out of the jasmine face, the great gaze she had met in the morning, turned half puzzled, half disappointed, upon the growing group of girls examining the watch. End of chapter 3